As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is an Unspoiled Network podcast. This is Spoil Me, covering Killing Eve, Season 2, Episode 4, Desperate Times. In this episode, Eve and her team finally close in on the much more subtle and understated killer that has been going after people who seem to be involved in the purchase of some company. Something's up with this. Most important to me, though, is that Villanelle is really having a hard time with their breakup. Welcome to Spoil Me. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Natasha. Thank you very much to Andrea for commissioning this episode. I'm not sure it might be, it's either Andrea or Andrea. Either way, thank you. It has been a long time since I covered Killing Eve, so I'm pretty excited about this. This episode, though, felt very much like, uh, I hate using the term filler episode because that's not what I mean, but this felt like it was a... Uh, link between two other episodes that are very action heavy because you can't just have action, action, action every single week, right? You've got to have setup. And this episode with the capture of the assassin, um, it's actually a pretty understated capture as well. The, uh, the assassin herself is understated. The capture is understated. And the only thing that really is as over the top as this show can tend to be is Villanelle's murder of that one dude, which we will talk about because what? So this episode begins um, with the scene with Carolyn. And this was really interesting to me. I am not entirely sure 
that I understand what's going on here. Carolyn is in the waiting room at this office to see her boss, as it turns out. And the dude working behind the desk, the the secretary, seems to be fucking with her by making her wait just for the fun of it. Because, like, there's a look that passes between the two of them that seems to me to be him admitting that he's just tormenting her for for fun. Like, she goes in there and her boss, whose name I missed, if you guys want to help me out here, um, she isn't, like, busy. It's not like she had another meeting or anything like that. She's just in there fucking eating Pringles. And... It is, by the way, uh, P- Professor Catface Meowers, as she's known to me and Owen from uh, from Harry Potter. Um, and I was very, very excited to see her. And I'm a little saddened because based on the way this goes, I think that she's not going to be in the show that much. And I really want to see more of her. I just really... I really enjoy this actress in pretty much everything I've ever seen her in. She has this sort of arresting quality. She's got a very like distinctive face. Her voice just is like commanding and I just notice her and the two of them in a scene together is a real treat. I really, really enjoyed watching them working together. So the moment with her, talking to Carolyn, she basically is like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, everything that you have touched lately has gone really wrong. We are funding this project and you're making me look really bad. The whole thing with like the, you know, Russian asset got incredibly fucked up. But then we have Villanelle escaping And I can deal with one fuck up because that just, that happens. That's out of your control. But Villanelle escaping this like huge sting you had set up right after. Now we're in embarrassing territory. Things have changed over and it's making us look bad. And she tells Carolyn, I think we're going to have to pull funding on this and close up this operation. And when Carolyn begins to interrupt and say, I don't think so, she interrupts. And I love the way this works because she interrupts Carolyn, who is interrupting her, and Carolyn does not stop talking. And so it forces her to, like, slam her can of Pringles on the table and stand up and just be like, bitch, listen to me. And essentially, it's just like, do you realize how bad this makes me look? And if she says something about if I wanted to get fucked until my asshole bled, I would go down to the torture garden and sign up for the full fucking English, which I, uh, I, I, I don't know what that means. I feel like I, I kind of know what that means, but it's so very specific that I'm like, is that, a reference to a thing because I can, you know, through context, put together what that's what that is. But I feel like that she's making a specific reference here. And Carolyn tells her it's all in hand. There is nothing for you to worry about. It is all going according to plan. And 
like this moment there's it's clearly her helen that's her name i for, i am seeing it right now in the subtitles helen seems to really want to believe carolyn here like it's one of those moments where you can see a person is desperate and that it's a prime moment for you to take advantage of the fact that they are looking for any sort of reassurance and play that to your advantage. So telling her it's in hand, everything's going exactly according to plan. She immediately gives her this look and says, you're certain. And she says, you have my word. I do not know what to make of this. There's a feeling here to me that I just can't help but think that maybe they're not aiming for the thing that I thought they were aiming for. Um, oh, and she mentions Paul and that Paul, Paul's boyfriend broke up with him. Do we know who Paul is? Should I remember this guy? I feel like I like the, him being mentioned here. I'm supposed to kind of know, but maybe not. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry to hear about his boyfriend. There are plenty more fish in the sea. And we cut from there to her walking outside with a look on her face that says to me, she is not nearly as confident as she appeared to be in that meeting at all. And honestly, when Carolyn isn't confident, I mean... I haven't loved Carolyn. As we know, she has been a highly questionable person this whole show. But I don't like knowing that she's like lied to her boss just now. It makes me feel like there's more going on here that maybe her moment of like it's all in hand. Maybe. I, I sort of my first interpretation was there is something between the two of them that they both know that isn't what the plan looks like to others. But then once she was outside and she had this expression, I was like, maybe there's something going on that only she knows and Helen doesn't know anything about. Um, but yeah, so then we go to uh, Eve and uh, I'm forgetting the two. It's been so long, guys. It's been two solid months since I recorded the last episode of this. So her two new co-workers, um, I do not remember their names at all. If anybody in the chat wants to help me out, but there's the pregnant black woman and the uh, sort of pain in the ass English bro. They are walking in on Eve going bonkers with all of her information, putting it up all over the place and sort of wondering if maybe she is dedicating a little bit too much time here. There's a, a real sort of uh, implication in their expressions that, she should be meeting them right now at the door coming in for work rather than clearly having already been here for several hours. And I really enjoy that the show has by establishing this sort of behavior more than once, they really do give the impression to us as viewers that like Eve practically lives here now. She's like almost never not there, you know, and it's something that I sort of take for granted honestly, that she's always there because that's part of the thing with like a TV character who plays a role in a certain thing, them always being at the place that they, that the action is in the show is what you expect as a viewer. But I like having it like having us being reminded 
by co-workers walking in for the start of their day, their day, not the start of hers, and talking about their personal lives outside of work and not having to do with necessarily a character that we've ever even met before. Because this dude is talking about how he's seeing this girl who's super annoying and she's really, really hot, but he doesn't like her personality. Um, it's a reminder that there's a bigger world out there that these two are participating in. And that is not really the case with Eve. She is not really engaging with the rest of the world anymore. You know, this is what she fucking does. And even to the detriment of her actual marriage, it's like slowly everything else is just diminishing and this is all that's left. Um, so she begins to tell them about what she has found in terms of this connection between all of these deaths that look in each case like they were either purely accidental or natural causes like it was just a simple tragedy. And I'm going to read these because I have it up right here. Um, if Let's see. I wanted to see if anyone connected to Alistair Peel had died recently. Whatever this is, it's been planned for a long time. Ten months ago, Peel's CEO died from a reaction to insulin. His ex-girlfriend died from anaphylactic shock on holiday six months ago. And... None of it looked suspicious at the time because he has type 1 diabetes, something he was born with. She has a shellfish allergy. These are, I mean, it's not like that kind of information It would be a complete unknown, right? We're talking about extremely wealthy people who probably do a lot of networking in social situations. So him being diabetic her having an allergy, which I'm sure would come up if she's going to a dinner party or a catered event or something like that. She would mention it or, you know, to whomever. It's just very, very telling that they both had a, a specific medical condition that could be exploited in this way. And so my mind already was going to where eventually Eve winds up when she starts thinking about it later, because I was kind of surprised it took her this long. I'm not that mad over it. It's fine because it winds up happening within the same episode. But that was my first instinct was like, this person knows how to kill them using health issues they already have, which means they either know how to get access to that information, which could be a medical professional, or it could just be somebody in their social circle, but likely not. And it also means that they are using methods to get rid of these people that are uh, that like messing with insulin. I feel like that takes a certain amount of skill and knowledge of chemistry. Um, and what we wind up finding out later about this other dude who died, which that'll come up, um, heart attack. Another thing that I feel like you really need to know about chemistry to be able to mimic that. Mm -hmm. So that got my brain on that track. And then it turns out that is part of what leads Eve to this conclusion about the, um, the medical, like, what's the word I want? practitioner, is that a medical professional, I guess, is the fact that all of these deaths were also made to be essentially painless. Like, there's no blood. This person isn't coming in to stab them. So it's it's neat and clean, which can be either for the sake of subtlety, or it could be because the assassin does not want to commit murder that way. And combined with the way that some of them go, it does seem like she's trying to spare them pain and make it something that's like, you know, 
uh, a, a quick before they know it, it's happened and it's done. And we begin to find out how this is like played out in other cases as well. Um, there is a woman who turns up dead later and it turns out that there has been a poisonous inhalant put into the bleach that she uses for her mustache. Um, which I am lucky enough that I have never really had to deal with that, but I have always found it really weird to take the, like to bleach a mustache rather than simply wax it off. Am I alone in that? I feel like if I had one, I would just wax it off. I wouldn't bleach it and leave the hairs there. Like why? Like, I don't know. This just seems weird to me. Um, but anyway, it works out for this killer. I'm getting ahead of myself, though, because that doesn't happen until later. We go to Villanelle here. She's wearing this outfit. I love how she's dressed in comparison to, like, the browns and, and blacks of everybody around her. She's in pinks and reds and, and like, deep ruby reds. Um, and she's here in these, like, flowered pants and this, uh, like, asymmetrical tailed red jacket. It's, like, really, it's a good look. So it turns out that she's been hired to do a job that she says is boring. And Constantine is telling her that she needs to find a way to make it fun. And he kind of uses Eve here as a means of like getting to her. Cause when she says boring, he says, make it fun. Show Eve Pilastri what she's missing. Show her how boring this other woman is compared to you. And that does seem to motivate her a little bit. Like putting it in those terms, I didn't know that she was going to be that easy. But it seems like that is all it takes. And all of a sudden she's like, all right, you know what? Like, it's not like she immediately has this change in attitude, but it helps, you know. Um, so... The two of them go to a an, a museum here. They're in Amsterdam. I do not... I think it's Amsterdam, right? I do not know what museum they are in. This is not something that I'm, like, I'm versed in. Forgive me. But she's not really into these paintings that she's seeing. She seems very unmoved and it's just kind of like, I guess... Until she stumbles across a painting by Francis Bacon. And as soon as she sees that, it sort of arrests her. And she says about the way that these uh, bodies are hanging, that they look like bacon. Which they do. They look like sides of bacon. I mean, honestly. It's funny because it's done by bacon. But... I think it's a Francis Bacon, actually. Now that I'm saying that, I'm like, is it? It might have been somebody else, but it looked like Bacon to me. Um, this is an, a conversation that I actually had with Jamie during an episode of Doctor Who where um, we meet Van Gogh. You know, he turns up and we were talking about art and how what moves us, what doesn't, what our favorite artists are. I didn't really have a great answer. A lot of art, uh, it fails to really move me very much. It's it, it like 
I don't have an artist that I point to and say, oh, this is a person that I really like their work. I like individual pieces, but there's no artist that consistently wows me. But Bacon was one that I was like, that one is consistently upsetting. It's just it like bums me out in my guts. Like it takes me a while to recover from looking at his work. Um, but yeah, she uses this clearly as inspiration a little bit later for what she does to this one dude. And I really enjoy the look on Constantine's face as he sees her adjusting her brain after looking at this, uh, this, you know, painting, there's like a bit of a knowing look to him as if he is aware what just happened and, and that this is going to be a source of inspiration for her. Um, so then we go to the interview with Alistair Peel's son, Aaron, and we have this, if, first of all, it's an amazing, like, they get met at the door and they're like, do you need water, tea, kombucha? And it's just such a like fucking tech startup sort of vibe, even though I do not remember what this is actually like this business actually is. Um, and Eve is coming in here with, I do not remember her name. I'm sorry, guys. And it, I really hate that there's not like a x-ray on here and there does not seem to be anybody in the chat to tell me. So forgive me. I am just going to call her Anne. Um, they have to sign in and like, it's not just a, oh, I'm, I'm going to be writing my name on this thing so that there's a log of who comes in and out of the building. They have to sign NDA forms and the both of them hand them right back and then get badges that say no NDA on the badges. Um, there is a bit of talk here on Doctor Who on, uh, which, com which companion they would spaff off to, which I never heard that word. And she says, obviously Rose, because she is adorable. I really love Eve giving Anna a look as she slurps down this kombucha. <laughs> what? It was free. This whole place is just, honestly, it looks really cool. You know, it's like an Ikea inside, but, uh. Aaron Peel is the guy. Like, I didn't realize when we saw him in the other setting of his father's home and the whole, like, sort of, like, cluttered vibe there. I didn't really get a sense of who he was. It wasn't until I, I watched this scene and him sitting on this extremely minimal couch in his very carefully selected, simple jeans, t-shirt, zip-up hoodie, hair parted on one side casually, but very like closely trimmed, glasses that are just kind of nondescript. He is in what you can tell is like pretty damn good shape, sneakers. He is the tech guy that wants to be like, oh, I'm just like anybody else. And in fact, is insanely powerful and wealthy. And once I saw him in this context, I just, I, I didn't really know what I thought of him before. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I hate this guy right away. Just like, mm -mm, nope, never mind. And it 
begins to come out of him here in a way that he wasn't given a chance in previous uh, episodes, previous scenes with him. They are asking about the sale of his company. And he does not like that they are asking about it. He says, I don't know why it would be of any interest. You could say it's none of your business. And Anne says, I, we think that there could be a connection. Several of your parents, uh, your father's colleagues, have died over the past few years. And he's like, yeah, but we employ like 20,000 people. People die. And Eve is just like, really? Seriously? So she says, what exactly is for sale for clarification? And he raises a hand and basically says, hold on, taps something on his little tablet. And this dude comes in, clearly a lawyer in a suit, and sits beside him. And every question that they ask, this man answers for him. Mr. Peel respectfully declines to answer this question. He keeps doing that with this little shrug. Could you tell us who you might be selling to? Mr. Peel respectfully declines to answer this question. And Anne finally is like, all right, I guess we're just going to go. And Eve can't help but say some shit on her way out. And is like, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but people are out there literally being murdered. And if you're doing any shit that is illegal or not what you're saying it is, we're going to fucking find out. And he gets up and gets in her face and says, what do you think we're doing? If you want to look around and see if we're hiding some uranium, you can go ahead. And if you two are what's supposed to be protecting us, I really don't have a lot of hope for our country because frankly, you all are working for MI6 and there's this like still a bit of this nostalgia about what that means. But let's be honest, companies like mine and other startups all over the world have more information at their fingertips than these intelligence agencies ever have. And we are going to be taking your place. Y'all are essentially like obsolete. You guys don't have anything, any leg to stand on here. And there's a real sense to the two of them as they leave that they kind of seem to know that he's right. You know, he feels like they, they don't answer because what do you even say? Even if you don't agree with him, there's no point in engaging a dude who's like taking this stance on things. But I do get the feeling that they both know maybe that is true, but there's not much they can do about that right now. Like they're, they are sent to do a job here. So we go back to Villanelle. Oh my God, I love her so much. She's sitting there in this amazing pink blouse and giant darker pink skirt. This girl comes up to her and says, you look amazing. Can I take a photo of you for my Instagram? To which Villanelle says, no, of course you can't. This is pathetic. Get a real life. And I was like, oh, that is brutal, girl. Stop it. Jesus. Um... And she's writing a postcard to to Eve on 
but it's clearly a postcard that she got from the museum of that painting. And as she is doing this, she looks up and we see this family on a bridge that is uh, heading out. They're, they're, they're passing somebody who kind of seems to be stopping them to talk about their baby, I think, because the woman like bends over to take the baby up out of the pram and hold her. I don't know if maybe it's their like babysitter and they're meeting her there or what. Maybe that's what it is. But she picks the baby up and is carrying the baby while the man pushes the pram next to her. And you see Eve watching them. And it was not clear to me until Constantine asks later, did you get a good look at them? That I was like, oh, those were like the targets. And we wind up finding out that it's the wife who has commissioned, for lack of a better word, contracted uh, her to take out the husband. And I just really wonder if the wife had any idea what she was paying for when, when she, you know, like, we'll get to that. Um, so she's then eating this thing called Hagelslag. I'm going to look this up actually, because it's still Eve and she's, uh, it's a piece of bread and there's all this, like what look like seeds coming out of it. Oh, it's like fairy bread. It's got sprinkles, black sprinkles. I get it. It's basically like a, you know, children's treat. That is really funny. Um, and he's asking her, are you ready? And she says, do you know he's into farmyard animals? <laughs> and she calls him a freak. But this is what she uses to get under his skin. And she, when he tells her to stop acting like a little girl, she sort of tries to push him about his daughter and wants to know whether he thinks her, his daughter will be okay without a father. And he doesn't rise to the bait the way that I thought he might. He seems to be in pretty good control of himself and just says, I think actually she might be stronger than you. Eve seems to have made you soft. And as he says that, she puts her foot out behind her and trips this woman and then does the, oh, are you okay, you poor thing? This is such a weird moment. I don't know if she's meaning to like, oh, I'll trip this woman to prove that I haven't gone soft because that's not really what he meant. I don't know if Eve really even understands what he meant when he said that. So maybe this is her attempt to disprove it. That's not as effective as she maybe thinks it is real. I do enjoy her turning and looking at him though. And her concerned face turning into a smug smile. Um, so we cut from there back to Eve and Anne for lack of her name talking about fantasizing about uh, throwing Aaron out a window onto a railing. And then they start talking about 
what it is to kill a person and, and whether they think Aaron killed his own father. Eve's not really sure. She's like, I don't know. It doesn't feel like him. Then they talk about like, is it cowardly to get somebody else to do it for you? Because they both sort of don't think that he seems like the type that would do this himself. But the killer really does seem like it's a female. So then Eve asks, do you think that he would trust a woman to do anything dirty? And this was an interesting question because I wouldn't assume if I'm going after this dude with the kind of resources that he has at his disposal, it wouldn't even occur to me that he knows who's committing the murders for him, even if he were ordering them and hiring somebody out. I would just assume that he has another person handle all of that kind of thing. And they just sort of do the like, this one needs to go, this one needs to go, this one needs to go, you know, there are your orders. And his friend goes, very good, sir, and leaves and then goes and hires a contract killer. And he's the one who takes care of that. So I don't know, you know, Eve is sort of operating on if he did hire somebody to do this, he did it, he hired them personally. And I'm wondering if I am thinking of things in too too great a context. Like maybe I'm thinking of this uh, business as much larger than it actually is. And it's like maybe going to be worth a lot or on the brink of being worth a lot more, but isn't quite large enough for him to have that kind of person as a go-between. I don't know. But at this point, Kenny comes in and tells them that another body has turned up. And this is the woman who died with the uh, mustache bleach on her uh, upper lip. And it takes a little while before they realize that the bleach is the source of the fatality. Um, and it's a very undignified death, too, because she's like laying face down on her bed because this got to her. Probably she was like, oh, let, I don't feel very good. That's weird. Let me lay down for a second, you know. Um, and I just imagine like being found this way. Yeah, that is not super dignified. We cut over to Villanelle here and we get a really nice little intro to the situation that's going on with this dude. So Villanelle, first of all, we see her laying on a bed in this very short poofy skirt. She is, it's like almost like a German bar wench sort of thing with like the laced up corset in the front. And she has a pig mask on very purge you know she sits up in bed camera cuts we go to this dude who is walking down an alley in amsterdam where there are tons of sex workers in the windows standing on the street people just like hanging around looking in the windows and he has a strong vibe to him of somebody who's like Got, gets off on the superiority that he holds over a sex worker. The the like arrogance of the looks that he is giving these women. It just makes my skin crawl. So he goes up to this one girl who's like, I really enjoy this. She's dressed like a schoolgirl and she's wearing a tiny skirt, but she's also wearing like knee length spanks under it, which okay. And he asks her if she's cold 
And I thought it was a reference to that. But apparently this is just like him doing the opener for the conversation. Are you cold? She says, a little. He says, poor thing, maybe you should have thought of that before you did this job. Maybe if you were not a whore and had a real job, you would not be standing in the street. And she says, I was just about to go on my break because it's pretty clear he is very threatening. She's getting a sense off him because when you do this kind of job, it's like being a bartender. You get a feel for people and you can tell if you've got a bad vibe off of somebody right away. And as she says, I was about to go on my break. He grabs her arm and says, how much? And she looks over his shoulder at clearly her pimp who's standing across the street. And he sort of looks at this guy and makes a move like, oh, really? You want to do this? And he lifts his hands away. So at this point, Villanelle walks by. But I just like this as a, a setup. You know, we have this moment to show us that this is a dude who probably enjoys abusing women. I don't know that we ever get the details about what he does. Um, and maybe we do. And I kind of missed it in the dialogue because there's a lot going on a little bit later. But he spots Villanelle walking by in her little weird Miss Piggy outfit. And he follows her into a brothel. And it's such an odd scene because he follows her in and there just seems to be this implicit assumption that if he is following her, then she knows that and is working and is inviting him in. And I mean, it it winds up working out, but it's just in the moment such a weird assumption for him to make to just follow her in. And I didn't realize that they are in the front display room because there's this huge curtain on one side. And I just thought that that was like a window curtain, but it's this massive display window that it's covering up that they're right on the street. So she gets out the uh, handcuffs and puts them on him. And he is really delighted by this. She, when she shoves him on the floor, he gets very like, you know, he starts snorting like a pig and is super happy. I love the like body language after he does the pig snort sound that she like she does this sort of like hip cock where you can practically see her face going, oh, my God, are you fucking serious? She binds his ankles together. And up until this point, he's thinking this is all just sex restraints. You know, he's not suspecting anything. She opens the curtain on the front window. And he tells her to close them because he doesn't like being watched. And, you know, he's still not really like suspicious yet of what the fuck is going on. This is evidently something that like some people get off on and happens like just sex right in the front window. So he thinks that's what she's doing and that she's not listening to him, that this isn't what he specifically is interested in. But then she hooks him to this cable that's attached to like this pneumatic lift. And after he had taken his shirt off, once she has him hoisted by the, the ankles up into the air, I was like, oh, she's doing that fucking bacon thing. And she pulls out this knife and there's a fucking crowd of people gathered outside 
who all think that this is just a show. None of them believe this is a real thing. This dude inside seems to be aware that he has been caught in a web and isn't ready. And he begins to plead with her, tells her, I have a wife. I have a baby. She tilts her head in this way that's sort of like, yeah, you do, don't you? And she points out into the crowd with the knife to his wife, who is standing there watching this whole thing. And he realizes that she's the one who gave this order. And honestly, for me, that was a very satisfying moment of like, I didn't think he was because she's clearly doing a whole thing here where she's not speaking, which I'm fine with. But I was sort of feeling like there's no way that he can know it's his wife who who like placed this order um, unless she tells him so. And I don't think that we as viewers even knew, right? But the fact that she's standing there and Villanelle can gesture to her and give, you know, send his attention over there. He says to his wife, I'm sorry, I'm sick. I won't do this again. I promise. Please stop this. And the way he says I'm sick, I really like this is what's making me suspect that it was more than just, oh, I'm cheating on my wife with dozens of sex workers. It's a frequent thing. I feel like there has to be more to it. Maybe he gets off on beating them up or hurting them in other ways. I don't know. Maybe it's just the power thing. Same thing, really. Um, But he starts yelling, I love you, Sarah. I love you, Sarah. And she just watches in fascination as Villanelle stabs him in the gut. And when Villanelle stabs him, his wife does not seem horrified at all. She doesn't blink. She doesn't look away. She doesn't have almost any change in expression. She just watches and then moves on. And I guess that Villanelle told her where to go to watch this happen. And I wonder if this lady is going to be pleased or feel like this was a little bit too much or what? Because, oh, and I forgot that Villanelle puts a a pig mask on his face before she leaves, too. And she gives a little fucking curtsy to the crowd. Um, But yeah, I feel like if I'm his wife and I want him killed because he's cheating on me with sex workers and potentially abusing them, maybe abusing me also, who knows? I feel like I want him killed in a way that's like more uh, more like the other uh, assassin, to be honest, where it looks like a an accident or a natural occurring, you know, health condition, because I'm going to want to inherit. I'm going to want to make sure that there is nothing in the way of me getting access to his assets and it makes it sort of like simpler when there's no police investigation. But she may have made the mistake when she commissioned this of saying, I don't care how it's done. Just do it. I don't know. Maybe she specifically asked for something big and showy like this so that he knew who had ordered it before he died. I really, I couldn't say, but I'm curious about it. And I wonder if that's going to come up again. Um, Because obviously this is going to be what Villanelle's doing for a living from now on. How she's surviving is like these piecemeal sort of jobs. And she does not 
seem excited about that. Like this life is not for her. Um, so we cut back from here to Eve, who's coming home. And there is a dude in her kitchen named Jordan, who is their new security guard. And she realizes that she forgot to tell Nico that this was going to be a thing. And Jordan like tries to get up and leave and her husband stops him and is like, no, 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 it's not your fault. And she finally is like, can you give us a minute though? For real. And Jordan gets up and leaves. I really felt for Jordan in this scene. He's very cute too. BT dubs. Um, but Eve is apologizing to Nico. I've been so busy, yada, yada, yada. And he wants to know what the fuck is up with all of them getting security. He says something about Villanelle. And is that what the scene in the school was all about? And she gets very, like, defensive here and says, no. Surprisingly, not everything in my job has to do with Villanelle. I work at MI6. It's a dangerous job. They're taking precautions to keep us safe. That's all. And then she says, I have a rough enough time at work. Coming home to this is not fun. Oh, Eve. Honey, you're doing that thing that's like the cliched husband in the 50s move where he's out there doing God knows what and his wife is not allowed to say anything to him without him bringing up the fact that I work so hard to do this and that and I can't even expect you to give me you know like it is really a moment and I like that Nico's looks almost amused by this he says you don't need to tell me and gives her this look like, yeah, dummy, I came home to a security guard. I don't really know what to tell you, but welcome. Um, she says, I'm going upstairs. I need to work. Sorry that annoys you. And he says, Eve, listen, having a security guard is not normal. None of this is normal. And having a wife who tries to gaslight me into thinking that it is, isn't normal either. And it's not kind. And she says, yeah, well, maybe I'm not kind. And he says, no, Eve, you are. You are the best person I know. You are very kind. It's why I love you. Come back. And she gets a very ashamed look on her face. And she doesn't have anything to say. She winds up just walking away. But I feel like that was probably the most effective thing that he could say. It's just like, I know that you are better than this. That is why we are together. Why aren't you being straightforward with me? I don't want to fight you. Like, you know, I liked this moment a lot. I thought it was really effective for I just I you know what honestly I gotta say for this show I love that they make Eve a bitch sometimes we don't need our 
female leads to always be likable. You know, it is such a thing that we have to make women likable and men are free to be complicated and assholes or selfish or power hungry or whatever. And we are willing to give a lot of leeway there, but women are really like forced to be like relatable somehow in a way that men aren't. And getting to watch her go through this with Nico as much as I am like, disgusted with her and I really feel for Nico and I want him to like leave her honestly because he deserves better there is a big part of me that admires that they are giving us this story at all because I think a lot of writers wouldn't have the guts to have her be this shitty straight up just shitty you know um so then we go to Constantine asking her uh, Villanelle, how she feels. And she says she doesn't feel anything and then asks, is this what it's going to be from now on? Scorned wives and scumbags. And he asks, why do you care who they are? And she says, well, I don't care, even though clearly she does. She wants to be killing important people. She's vain. That matters to her. She can't lie about that. He knows And then she asks, can we go home now? And he's like, what do you even mean by that? Home? What are you talking about? Where is that? And she says, I'm going back to London. And he tells her, give that up. She's not interested in you anymore. And she sort of giggles about this. And we see a little bit later what the like she sets it all up as I'm going to sit and watch and wait for her to turn up because they will know this was me I sent a postcard kind of waving from where I am so that she would know I'm in Amsterdam and that this when this body turns up you know this will all be linked together but instead Carolyn decides to send Anne and sorry guys, I'm saying Anne. I just don't know her name and I don't want to look things up because you get spoiled that way. Um, but Anne is like, there's this moment where <laughs> I really liked it. It's super obvious to everybody what Eve's personal investment is in the Villanelle issues and her whole case So when Carolyn comes in and says there's been another body and Eve asks, do you think it's Villanelle? Carolyn straight up dodges the question and just says, how is the thing with the ghost coming along? And then she tells Anne, I'm going to send you on this case. And Eve tries to do the, but is it safe? She's pregnant. Really? And Anne has to be like, I can manage. Thanks. In this very quelling tone that's like, I know what you're trying to do here and I don't, I'm not fooled, knock it off. And I kind of liked that moment because it's like, it would be very easy for Anne to sort of like let Eve get away with that, pretending to like give a fuck when it's really all about her. And she's letting Eve know in no uncertain terms, I know what you're fucking doing and don't you use me as your like excuse, you know? Um, and we wind up having this, this scene 
where Villanelle is like, she's sitting in the window of the uh, building right across from where she killed this guy, watching the crime scene, watching all of these cars pull up and waiting for Eve to turn up. And eventually she sees a car that it seems like she can tell is going to, if it, if it contains, uh, if any car is going to contain Eve, it's this one. I don't know why she knows, but she seems to know. And she sees Anne get out and the hurt on her face there is really like remarkable. I like, it was just a, I don't know. It was an effective scene to see because like Eve is or not Eve. Villanelle is somebody that I've said before how tough it can be to uh, to figure out what she's really feeling versus what she is projecting for everybody else. And I never can tell when she's in a scene with another person how real she's being. The one time I think I kind of got a good sense of it was with Constantine. I feel like she's her, like she is the most herself with him out of everybody that we've seen, except for perhaps Eve. And so this scene, the fact that she is watching this and she is alone, uh, this feels like an honest moment to me, you know, which it's one of the few, the, the sadness in her eyes as she realizes. Uh, so, all right, we have like, and, and before this, by the way, I should mention is a scene of her like laying on this bed and waiting for anything to happen as she's in this hotel room and showing us how slowly time is plodding by. And eventually when she is on the street, some guy tries to sell her drugs and she has this like, Oh, get the fuck out of my face response, but pretty quickly follows it up with, okay, you know what? Never mind. What have you got? And then we see her arriving at this nightclub, which has the craziest like underground entrance. It's honestly really cool looking. I bet it smells like death in there. Um, and she is on something already. She's taking other stuff as well. It's clear to me that she is either going to try and kill somebody or try and have sex with somebody as a means of getting her mind off things. So there's that woman that she had an affair with in the first season who had like the curly hair. Um, so I was thinking that she was looking for somebody that was going to be on the older side. I was a little surprised that she chose this crowd. Cause I was like, you would think she would go for somebody, you know, more mature, but then she spots an Asian woman at one point and seems to like make eye contact and I was like, oh, okay, maybe that's what she's doing. But the woman turns and leaves and she gets this like expression on her face. It's a combination of like disappointment that she turned away and also panic as I think she's realizing that like she's not going to get what she wants out of this crowd tonight. There's a feel to me of like desperation to this whole scene, you know? So 
she's standing there. The, the drugs do not seem to be agreeing with her. She seems to not be like feeling super well. We see a cut to her waiting in line for the bathroom and she's sort of grinding her teeth. And this girl walks by everybody to go into one of the stalls. And Villanelle is like, dude, there's a line. Seriously, what are you doing? And the girl turns around, gives Villanelle the finger, and Villanelle goes up to this girl, grabs her by the throat, knees her in the face twice, bashes her head into the wall, and then holds her against the bathroom stall wall by the throat. And I got to say, guys, there is not a single soul, not one woman in that entire bathroom who seems to give any fucks about this girl. They are watching Villanelle murder this, like, you know, what, she's 19? And nobody is doing anything about it. And then Constantine comes in. I don't know how he figured out what was going on or where she was. It's a bit of a deus ex Constantine, but that's fine. He smashes the girl out of her face barely in time to save her life. And then carries her out fireman style over his shoulder. And when she wakes up in the morning, honestly, guys, it's a a great moment because there's like vomit on the sheets. It's super gross. They do not shy away from like the hangover effect of these drugs the next morning. Um, And she sits up just looking like hell. And here's Constantine snoring and he is on the floor by her bed obviously had decided to like keep watch over her in case anything went wrong. There's like the bucket for vomit next to the bed. It's just a really cute, like dad was watching out for her kind of moment. I just really, really, really liked this a lot. Um, I just really like them being a team again, you know? So we have one other scene between Eve and this dude her what's his name let's call him tim i do not like tim i think i said already tim is i don't see it for her being like interested in him like sure he has like a sexuality to him that i could understand that vibe being intriguing but he is such a little shit I don't know if it's just because of his involvement in the case and the fact that he sort of seems to like get her in a way that her husband doesn't. Maybe that's what it is. But there's a moment where he leans toward her after they talk about like Villanelle fancying her and does she fancy Villanelle back and does she get off on watching Villanelle or being watched by Villanelle? He's asking the questions that I think she like wishes Nico would ask and then begins to lean toward her to kiss her and they get interrupted by her phone buzzing saved by the fucking bell. Honestly, I do not want to add an affair onto everything that is going on between Eve and Nico. Like it is quite bad enough. What's going on with Villanelle is low key already an affair. It's, you know, like it kind of, we don't need to throw this fucking wrench into the mix. And he is so amoral when it comes to sex. I don't doubt he is going to attempt this again. I feel like Eve got his attention 
And this is a dude that doesn't really relent until he gets what he's after. And I'm not really looking forward to that pursuit continuing, you know? Um, so then we have the scene at the very end where Eve is in this room and she's like looking at herself in the mirror. It's, it's, it's a two way mirror and she knows that Carolyn is there. Um, but she is putting her, like, deciding whether to put her hair up or not. As she's looking in the mirror, Villanelle is looking in the mirror herself in the bathroom of her hotel room. And she breaks down and just genuinely starts crying because I think she has realized she's lost Eve's interest. And it's not true. We know that Eve is very interested in pursuing this, but she's being kept from doing so by Carolyn. There's no way that Villanelle can know that. So to her, there's somebody that she thought she had this connection with who does not seem to care anymore. And I really wonder what that turns into. Like, does that, is that rage? Does she go after Eve? Is it desperation where she tries to get Eve's attention again? Like, I do not know how she's going to play this. And then we get the final scene. Um, well, actually, I forgot. Eve looking into the mirror is the final scene because Carolyn says, are you ready? And I thought that this was the are you ready for the uh, setup with this woman? But she that had already happened. So maybe she's asking, are you ready? Because she has to question this woman. I don't know. But she they wind up like catching who they are pretty certain is the perpetrator of these very subtle murders. And she is an Asian woman that Eve does this little sort of like distraction play with until finally they manage to get a train, a tracer on her and say, you can just come with us or we can shoot you in front of all of your kids. And uh, I guess that we're going to have to have a conversation with her. So maybe that's what Eve's prepping for. But yeah, so this was a, this felt like a setup heavy episode. Um, and I'm really, really not sure where we, like, I feel like we're at a crossroads with a couple of these storylines. So we'll see what happens. Um, I'm going to wrap up, but thank you again very much to Andrea for commissioning this episode. I am very glad to have gotten to continue coverage of this. Um, Cause like I said, it's been over two months. So I was just kind of like, good God. And I, I can't believe that I can't remember character names and whatnot already. Um, let me double check real quick before I go what the next episode when that's booked for. So today's the 10th. The next one will be August 4th, the 7th and the 11th. And after that, I am booked into October. So uh, I will I will have no episodes again until somebody commissions another one until October. So keep your eyes peeled. And uh, if you're interested in more of this, make sure to commission on spodepodcast.com slash shop. Thanks, guys. Toodaloo, motherfuckers. That 
was an unspoiled network podcast. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.